to share with you today, I've been talking about our identity in Christ and uh, shared some things last week that were kind of powerful, um, strong, I would say strong. And I want to share a little bit more. We're going to come from a different perspective this morning, and I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to, I'm going to talk really fast, so just listen. Listen really fast, okay? I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to talk to you about Peter, and I'm going to share with you about him and then relate that to us. But I want to start in the Old Testament, and I want to start with a promise that God gave us. And there's three places where this promise is spoken in Scripture. There's two times in the Old Testament, one time in the New Testament. And I want you to notice the context Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 says this, and this is, uh, this is talking about, actually I have them inverted, but it doesn't matter. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them for the Lord your God. He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Now this is a recounting of the story of Joshua. So if we go back to Joshua chapter 1 and look at verse 5, it says this, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So we're talking specifically, the scripture is talking specifically about going into battle. Where Joshua is about to take the children of Israel into a battle against the Israelites. Now have you ever wondered about finding a promise in the word and saying, can I take this as my own? Can I apply this to my life today? Okay, so let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. It is verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That has nothing to do with fighting a battle. It has nothing to do with fighting your enemies. It has to do with him taking care of your needs. But the principle is there. The principle is that I will never leave you or forsake you. That's the principle, okay? So, so the writer of Hebrews, whether it's Paul or whoever it was, takes that principle and says, Here is, here's this concept. God has said he will never leave us or forsake us. And so that means in any area, in any way, that's the truth. So I want you to just, that's just the precursor of what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to talk about Peter. And Peter is a guy who, if anybody was going to give up on him, probably would give up on him because of how he was like, You know, like up and down and up and down. So we know that, that Jesus called Peter. Peter was a fisherman. And apparently Peter was uh, physically strong. He was a, probably a muscular. One of the verses, and I'm not sure if I have that translation in our scriptures. We'll see as we go through. But it actually describes him as Athletic. Um, but Jesus saw him one day when he was teaching by the Sea of Galilee. He said, come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. So that was the beginning point. And Peter followed him. But later on in Matthew chapter 16, we see this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? I'll just stop there and tell you another story. Um, And go to the picture that I have. It's a couple slides. Do you remember when I talked about the gates of hell, gates of Hades and Caesarea Philippi? 
It was a place, it's, it's 15 mile, or 25 miles north of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And it's a place where there used to be pagan worship. And during the time of Jesus, during the time of Christ, uh, Jews, the religious leaders told people not to even go there because it was so bad, it was so pagan. They did all kinds of things. And they actually believed that the gods that they worshipped, the god Pan and other gods would go into those caves into those caves for the winter, into the netherworld until the weather was nice, and then they would come back out. And so that was all part of their worship. So this is where that story, this story that we're reading took place. Just That's just to refresh your memory. That was such a neat whole teaching on that whole thing about what went on there. But anyway, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, that was it. He asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So here we see Peter at his very best. At his very best. What just happened to Peter? You know what happened to Peter? Kind of the same thing that happened to the kids last night. There came a revelation of the Spirit of God that it was time to celebrate and dance, and they started going around in a circle last night during, during our worship time, and it released more worship here in, in the congregation. Peter got revelation from heaven, actually got powerful, one of the most profound pieces of revelation that anybody's ever gotten, that Jesus was the Messiah, because there weren't too many other people that actually got that. Matter of fact, there were only two recorded, and that were the two people in the temple when Jesus was brought there when he was eight days old, Simeon and Anna. And so Simon gets this revelation, and no sooner does he get that revelation than we go on to verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Uh, here's a gutsy guy. I mean, most of us would not re- don't normally rebuke one another, right? We don't rebuke. He just told Jesus that he's the Messiah. And yet he still thinks he can tell him what to do. Like rebuke him. And the tense of the verb in this is like he didn't just do it one time. He kept doing it. He kept like almost nagging. Like, and finally Jesus had enough. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So here's the, here's the aspect of that. Does Satan just say something to you one time? Or does he repeat it over and over and over and over and over again? And so I think that 
you know, part of it was what Peter was saying, but part of it was the way he was saying it. It's like, you're starting to sound like somebody else I know. Jesus think the same. You're starting to sound like somebody else I know. Get behind me, Satan. Quit with this already. And so Peter, one minute recognizes him as the Messiah. The next minute is... <laughs> one minute, Peter is speaking out of the revelation that came from heaven. Here comes this wisdom from the Spirit of God into his spirit into his conscious mind. The next minute, he's spewing garbage, wrong things out of his soul, out of his flesh, out of his human humanness, okay? You see that? Those are, that's the contrast here. And so Jesus says, knock it off already. You're sounding like somebody you don't want to sound like. And so uh, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That could be a sermon. I don't want to go too far into it. But do you understand how we can think that we're speaking so correctly, so correctly, so confidently about something, but we can be so out of phase with heaven if we're not in the spirit, if we're not really receiving from the Lord what we want. So Peter takes this huge stumble. And so what do you think Jesus is thinking about him? What do you think Jesus' attitude toward Peter is? Like, I really need to keep my eye on that guy. Or I need to keep him in line, or I need to do this, or I need to do that. And then we come to Matthew chapter 26, verse 69, the night of Jesus was betrayed and all the things that happened, and how Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and the servant girl came to him. Interesting that it's servant girls that come to him, the first two. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. Here's the guy who recognized Jesus as the Messiah, has been following him since he met Jesus at at the Sea of Galilee, gets to this moment where he says, I don't know what you're talking about. Verse 71, then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth and he denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. So one of the things we learned from this, this is just a side note, one of the things we learned from this is that there were a lot of servants that followed Jesus. There were a lot of the people that were not necessarily, they were the common people. Because two of them recognized him. Right off the bat, they recognized, That's, I know that you were with Jesus. I know you were. I can tell by your loud mouth. I can tell by your cocky attitude. I can tell by the way that you act. You're that guy. No, I don't. No, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. After a little while, verse 73, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. I mean, they're nailing him. They're just nailing him. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crowed. Rooster crows, you... 
you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And so, now what is Jesus thinking of him? Now what's he thinking of him? He doesn't even want to be associated with me. And so we know that Jesus was crucified and and Peter was really distraught, upset, trying to figure things out. And then he sees Jesus rose from the dead and, and Jesus appeared to Peter that we can tell three times. The first time was in the upper room when Thomas wasn't there. The second time was when Thomas was there. And the third time is we're going to read in John chapter 21. Later, Jesus appeared once again to a group of his disciples by Lake Galilee. It happened one day while Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, Jacob, which is James, John and two other disciples were all together. Peter told them, I'm going fishing. In other words, Peter's saying, I'm going back to fishing. In other words, I don't know why I wasted the last three and a half years of my life following Jesus, but I'm going back to fishing. Let's go fishing. This is what I know to do. I know how to fish. I know how to catch fish. I know what to do with fish. It's where I'm comfortable. I'm going back to fishing. And they all replied, we'll go with you. So they went out and fished through the night but caught nothing. Now, I don't know whether it was the enemy chasing the fish away or whether it was the Holy Spirit and angels chasing the fish away, but somebody was chasing the fish away. <laughs> it was a design plan. It was a setup. And I, you know how it all works. Maybe when we get to heaven, we can find out. Of course, not one of the major questions I'm going to ask when I get there, but um, who chased the fish away that night? Who's responsible for that? I want to know how all this works. So they went out and fished through the night but caught nothing. Then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was him. And he called out to them saying, hey, guys, did you catch any fish? Not a thing. Now, maybe that was common for people to be on the shore waiting for the fishermen to come in so they could buy fish right away. Maybe some people like really fresh breakfast. It didn't seem unusual that Jesus was on shore at the fire already cooking fish. So, so maybe there's something that happened at that particular spot. I don't know. And Jesus shouted, and throw your net over the starboard side and you'll catch some. And so they did as he said, and they caught so many fish they couldn't even pull in the net. I'm not really sure why they even listened to Jesus unless there were times when people could tell that there was a school of fish. Maybe they saw disturbance in the water. I don't know. Why would you, if you're a fisherman and you're out all night, you don't catch anything, and then some guy on the shore says, hey, throw it over on the other side. You'll catch something. Oh, okay, we'll do that. You know, I, you know, experienced fishermen doing that. They're like, okay, here we go. He must know what he's talking about because we didn't catch anything. I don't know how all that works. But anyway, they do it. They catch so many fish to know what to do. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who we know is John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard him say that, he quickly wrapped his outer garment around him because he was athletic. There it is. And he dove right into the lake to go to Jesus. The other disciples then brought the boat to shore, dragging their catch of fish. And they weren't far from land, only about 100 meters. 
And when they got to shore, they noticed a charcoal fire with some roasted fish and bread. Then Jesus said, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Peter waded into the water, helped pull the net to shore. It was full of many large fish, exactly 153. But even with so many fish, the net was not torn. Come, let's have some breakfast, Jesus said to them. And not one of the disciples needed to ask who it was because every one of them knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus came close to them and served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. So here's, here's the point. After everything that Peter does, where's Jesus calling him on the carpet? Where's Jesus saying, Peter, Peter, I told you what was going to happen. I told you you were going to deny me. Why, didn't, why don't you shape up? Why don't you get it right? Why don't, why, don't, why don't you listen to what I tell you? Why don't you get this through your thick skull? I mean, what other kind of things do we say about in those kind of situations? But see, there's something going on here, and, and this is what we need to get. We need to get this. He will never leave us or forsake us. And that doesn't just mean physically. Have you ever had anybody check out on you emotionally? Sometimes that's worse. Jesus never checks out on us emotionally. Like, okay, you stepped over the line. I'm just going to dissociate from you for a while. I'm just going to give you the silent treatment because I'm miffed. He doesn't do that. He never leaves us, forsakes us. And he doesn't point out our faults. He just keeps coming back. He just keeps loving. What does he do? He makes them breakfast. Okay, Peter, you wanted to go back to fishing? Here, have some breakfast. Guess what I got? I have a fish. You didn't catch any until I told you where to go. You didn't catch any, but I found them. Look, here. Killing him with kindness. Just demonstrating goodness. Just loving him. We know that Jesus then asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? He says, you know I have fond affection for you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Jesus Jesus knows exactly where Peter is. But I think he's trying to get the point across. Peter, do you understand that I love you? Do you understand that I will never leave you or forsake you? And what we seem to forget, what we tend to forget, or we, can't, or, or, or we begin to believe lies, is that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us in any way. He's not, he's not out to get us. He's not, out, he's, he's not even out to teach us a lesson. He's not out to correct us when we mess up, only to the extent that he doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. He wants us to just get closer to him. He wants, he wants us to feel so comfortable in his embrace and in his love that our, our, our intimacy with him transforms us from the inside out, that his love transforms us. There's something about his love that we just really have, have to grasp. And see, we, we don't realize, we mentioned this last week, we don't realize that Jesus' inheritance is us. The inheritance that he's waiting to fully receive is us. 
We are his inheritance. There's something incredibly valuable in us as people that he wants, that he wants us close to him, and he wants us to embrace him, and he wants us to know him because there's so much that he wants to release. I heard somebody say, we don't understand how valuable we are as as human beings. Like, how old are you? And I know it's Joyce's birthday, but how old are you? God knew us before we were born. So when did you begin to exist? We don't know. So there aren't any young people here today. In one sense, there may not even be children here today. Ah, that's too messy to get into, right? Let's not go there. <laughs> I, I, okay, this is just another way of looking at it. I come from a long line of a long line of people. So do you. We were talking about DNA the other day. People getting DNA tests to see where their heritage is. And we have relatives that have the, uh, an Italian last name. And proud of the fact that they're Italian. Got the test done. There's no Italian in their blood. Really disappointing for the grandfather. Didn't want to hear it. Don't tell me. I don't want to know the truth. I want to believe what I want to believe. So that's okay. But how old is our DNA? How old is the structure, that, that actually, the code that actually describes who you are, that causes you to be who you are? How, how old is that? You see, we're connected all the way back. So how old are we? And the way that, that God created us, he created us magnificently. And every one of us is a treasure, and he wants us to be reclaimed. He actually created us to live how long? Where? And where is he? Think of the universe. We have, we're going to have jobs to do throughout the universe. What kind of people do we need? How prepared do we need to be? How equipped do we need to be? How, how magnificent... Is there technology in us that hasn't even been released yet? And how does that get released? Technology. Maybe that's the wrong term for church. There is design within us and there is capacity within us. Okay. Um, Ephesians chapter chapter 2, verse 4. But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins he united us into the very life of christ and saved us by his wonderful grace he raised us up with christ the exalted one and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm for we are now co-seated as one with christ that's just crazy that's just crazy i don't even know what that means totally You see, when I read a scripture and I don't understand it, it means there's something that I'm not seeing and it's something I'm not walking in that I probably should be, but how do I do it? Verse 10, we have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he's given each of us, for we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. 
even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it before we were born. Before we were born, he designed things that we were going to do. We have no idea. And he wants to prepare us. This life is supposed to prepare us for the next life. I don't want to be too surprised when I get there. Like, I forgot to pack something. I'm going, on, I, I'm going to this conference. And you ever go away and you're, you just get in the car and you're on your way down the road. And you're thinking, okay, I feel like I forgot something. Or feel like that? And the worst thing is thinking of something that you forgot that you really need. And there's no way to get what you need where you're going. I don't want to get up there and go, oh, I should have packed my bag this way. I should have been more prepared this way. You know what I'm saying? I think there's things that God wants to do in us. There's things that he wants. Go back to Colossians. I didn't, I I skipped this verse. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10, for you have acquired a new creation life which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God. Ouch. He's way too big. I'm way too little. I don't know how else to say that. You understand? You understand what I mean? What does he have in mind for us? And so do you understand why Jesus treated Peter the way he did? He was loving Peter into his destiny and calling. He saw such value in Peter. You see, Jesus' vision, Jesus' understanding, his spiritual perception was who Peter really is. He sees Peter with heaven's eyes. He sees Peter with the Father's eyes. And so he would never treat Peter disrespectfully or or treat him like a child because he realizes the amazing person creation that peter is do you understand how we need to treat one another the amazing creations that every one of us god's been doing a work in me i've been out and about from time to time and i go to stores and sometimes i get irritated with people oh i just admitted it again (laughs) and it's becoming clearer and clearer to me of the potential that is in every person. And I'm, now I'm beginning to look at people and think, what did God create them for? What purpose? What, what does God want to unravel, unlock, unfold in their lives? And I'm slowly, it's changing slowly, but I'm beginning to see people differently. And I'm grateful that God is doing that to see people go, to say, God, and so God, that's, what, that's the way God looks at every one of us. He's pursuing us passionately. He wants us to get to know him better and better. He wants us to spend time with him so that all the things that he wants to unfold in us can be unfolded in us. So that this new creation life that he's given us can actually come to pass. We spend way too much time somewhere else. And there, there has to be a way. There has to be a way for us to walk more intentionally in the things of the Spirit. And I love, I'll close with this. I love the way Bill Johnson talked about this one time. I mentioned it before. You want to be aware of the presence of God all the time. 
no matter what you're doing and to stay focused on that. And, and the thing that he likes, to, the, the way that he likes to think about that is if a dove came and landed on your shoulder and you don't want to do anything to disturb that dove and cause it to fly away. So everything you do, you do intentionally not to disrupt the dove. So everything that we do, we don't want to disrupt the presence of God's spirit manifesting in us all the time. But we get off on our own things. But he wants us to be there. He wants us to get to know. And there's so much that he wants to release and unveil and uncork and unplug and demonstrate through us if we're willing. That's who we are. We don't even know who we are completely. I don't know who I am completely yet. I need to get better at it. I need to know more. I have my perspective, but I'm not sure I completely have heaven's perspective. And the only way I get to know really what God has for me is getting to know him better so that he can change me, transform me. Being continually renewed in the likeness of the one who created you, giving me, giving you the full revelation of God. Ah. Lord, that's what we want. We want the full revelation of God. We want that full revelation. We want, we want to be changed from glory to glory. We want to reflect you all the time. We want to be the people that you've created us to be. And we live so far below the level of what, of what you've designed us for. We have no idea. But Lord, we don't want to just accept the, that low place. Because there's something marvelous that has happened through faith in Jesus. There's something incredible that has happened through faith in Jesus. You've opened up a whole new doorway, pathway for us to walk in the fullness of your spirit's presence and power.